For more information on Ancient Dragon Zen Gate, please visit our website at www.ancientdragon.org. Our teachings are offered to the community through the generosity of our supporters. To make a donation online, please visit our website. Good evening, or welcome, Bodhisattvas, far and near. Uh, welcome, Sangha in the Zoomiverse, and Sangha who are visiting from afar. Wonderful. So we're forming one practice body. And uh, Jerry, thank you for offering a Dharma talk today, this evening. And please introduce yourself. <laughs> um, I'm Jerry Griffin, and I'm happy to be here. And I want to thank Tagan and everybody came to the opportunity to get this talk. And I have to say, when I picked this topic, this was a hard talk to write for me for some reason. But I hope it's going to be kind of fun because it's a nice topic. But I want to talk about home altars and Buddha statues and I don't I'm, it's not about I don't like I'm not an art historian I don't know much about really different types of Buddha statues but it's about building an altar and my experience with doing that and what it's like to sit with an altar and I'm interested in the discussion to know how other what the kinds of places that other people sit in but I came up with this idea. A friend of mine is downsizing, and so she, her altar is smaller. So she gave me her Buddha statue, and which is really very nice. Um, so I, I want to first tell you about this space that I have, and this picture isn't really good, but it's the picture of the. There's a picture of a. a Shakyamuni Buddha in the center and this green sort of back cloth. But before I talk about this picture, yeah, I want to just talk about the space. I live in this two-bedroom condo, and the larger bedroom has these two big walk-in closets and this little alcove area that I think was supposed to be like a vanity because it has this shelf that's at like chair level, and there's two little drawers under it. It's got a light at the top with a switch, and there's a space. The floor is just big enough to fit a mat. And I thought, well, this has altar written all over it, this space. And it's <laughs> set back a little. So when you walk in the room, you're not overwhelmed by this big, ostentatious looking. You don't actually see it when you walk into this, which, which is my office space now. So originally, I had this lovely statue, which is a stone statue. And it, it doesn't actually sit like this every day in my home. I sort of like propped it up for this picture. But I love this statue. I've like sat with this statue for a long time. And back in the day, I used to take it to like when the Midwest Buddhist Council would have events and they needed an altar or a Buddhist statue, I'd bring it over. And it's it's solid stone. It weighs a ton. And all right, brought it a couple times to Asian organize these all day outdoor sittings and we would use it there. I got it. A friend of mine bought it for me at a garden shop. 
on the north side of the city. And it was in amongst the other garden gnomes and furniture and they had these big Buddha statues. And it's just, I mean, it just feels like an f- old friend when I see it. It's just such a lovely. The other st- um, statue I have, and this actually doesn't normally sit like this either, but this is a statue that a friend of mine, it's a resting Buddha. And she has sort of a sleepy look and a friend of mine found it at a big lots. And I, it's just such a nice, warm. So sometimes I take it out from underneath that little slot in the alcove and I stick it up on a desk for the seven o'clock morning sittings and I sit with it because it's, it's kind of soft and easy and sleepy looking and I'm kind of sleepy in the morning and it's like, oh yeah, let's just hang out with my friends on Zoom and do a little, it's just lovely statue. And then, you know, I have to say, when I first walked into a Zendo and I saw an altar, I liked it a double take. I thought, what is this about? Because I don't actually associate Zen with altars and religious figures or devotional practices. And I thought, well, what is this all about? So, and I have to tell you the truth. When I took these pictures, I thought, I need to take all this other stuff off the altar because it's not like Zen. And we should just have the Zen Buddha figure there with the sand, you know, the little incense and the little candle. And, you know, we all come from different traditions. And we all grew up thinking about what are altars and practices and all that emotion and experience and faith and feeling all comes with us when we come to sit, you know, in a zendo. And I don't know. I don't know if I thought like there were altar police out there that you could only have certain <laughs> things on your altar and it had to be aligned a certain way. And it is true. There are a lot of Zen, beautiful, really, Zen altars. And there are some rules and regulations about, you know, where you put the Shakyamuni, where you put the Manjushri, where the candle goes and the incense goes and the food offering goes and the memorial goes. And and all traditions have these rules about how to set up an altar and what belongs on an altar and what doesn't. I don't know, for a moment, the idea that you could sort of like put whatever you wanted on your altar was like, can that be right? How, how, and how do you know what like is altar worthy and what like, because, in, you know, altars are places of ritual and devotion and the memorials to remember our lot or, you know, the friends and family members that we've lost. So I was reading this book by um, Robert Aiken, and he says this about altars. He says, on the other hand, this religious setting should be spare, free from sentimental feeling that leads to self-preoccupation. I have a little experience story to tell about this. I was up in uh, seeing Wisconsin at the Art Museum. They had this really nice, actually, national uh, curated watercolor exhibit. And in their gift shop, they had this little, it was a skeleton in meditation zazen. And I thought, well, this is cool. I could take this home. I'll put it on my altar. I can meditate on my own impermanence and immortality. And won't that just be grand? 
<laughs> so I bring it home and I put it on my altar and it's there for about a week or seven days or whatever it is. And one day I look up and I think, what the heck is this goofy looking skeleton all about? I, I mean, the idea that some little... So it, it, I know it's ceramic because last night, late, when I was kind of cranky, I had an incident with spilling coffee all over my desk and the hit something and, and the poor little skeleton went flying off and cracked into Because I was going to take a picture of it, but didn't make it into the picture book. But it just, it, I don't know, when I say that out loud now, that some little skeleton was going to like help me understand him. It sounds like crazy talk. It's like, it, it had to go. I don't actually understand this because if you look at this picture of the statue that has the altar cloth behind it, there's other little lovely things I can tell you about on this altar. There's this, there's this little uh, red cat figure. Should we pass this around? Yeah, I think there's some pictures oh, going. going. I have around? a couple okay. extras. Yeah, somebody needs one. Because when I got the pictures from Walgreens today, I was missing some, so she she printed me out an extra oh, set great. for like free. Oh, great. But it has this little red cat. It's the kind you see in Chinese restaurants. <laughs> They're supposed to bring you riches and good luck. Yeah. I got it from my nieces, and they are wonderful women. I like really like them a lot. But they're a little bit quirky. And so I thought, well, let's have a little bit of quirkiness on the altar there. And then there's this little bluebird. And this, when I was a kid, I used to go and hang out at my friend Joyce Poole's house to get away from my own crazy family. And her mom is really important to me. And when we were kids, her mom used to, when we like got busted for doing something she didn't like, she'd say, some little bluebird told me that you did whatever it was that you did wrong. And we used to kid about this little bluebird that was out like spying on us. <laughs> and so this little bluebird is a memorial to Mrs. Poole, who's passed away. So I kind of like that. And then there's this, there's this uh, red ruby paperweight that a friend of mine gave me one year for Christmas. And then following May, she was diagnosed with this rare form of cancer. And by August, she was gone. She was there. It was, it was like sudden so that's for Sue Nissen. And then there's these three little stones that I got up in the on the coast of Maine. I really like the coast of Maine. But these, I didn't actually remember this until I was given this talk. These three little stones, I don't know, must be 30 years ago now. I went up to this, used to be this place, Original Root Zen in the scene. And we had this little class, and they had these little boxes of art stuff. So they had like crayons and popsicle sticks and beads and yarn. So the idea was you went in a group and you took whatever you wanted and you went back to your area and you created an altar. And their lesson there was, you know, we make these things up out of our, out of air and we get these altars. And what my group came up with was this bodhisattva path. And so those little stones are like a bodhisattva path. And then there are these two other statues. This one that's sort of beige in color, and it's a, a older woman sitting on a block of wood came from, there used to be this store, I forget the name of it, up in Madison, Wisconsin, that 
Bob Ryan, who used to be director of Chicago Zen that I practiced at in the past, introduced me to. And this other one, which is this gray slender uh, figure of a woman I got from this little store, it's closed now, used to be around the corner from my house, and they sold Russian nesting dolls and Faberge eggs and stuff like that. And these two statues kind of spoke to me. And I don't know if I should say this, but when I look at these statues, it kind of reminds me that women do most of the work in the world somehow. I don't know where that comes from, but they're nice. And they have a nice sort of feeling to them. And they're kind of like guardians to the main Buddha figure. So this is the new, in the center here, figure that prompted this whole thought train about what the heck our altar's all about and this talk. And this came originally from the Art Institute of Chicago, but it's really nice and it's bigger and it's much less lighter than this this stone one that used to sit there. So, um, I don't know, I think about, you know, when I sit down in front of this altar, in the morning, and I light the candle and get the incense going. I don't know what happens there, but it's like all of a sudden there's a zendo in my, it's like somehow some sacred space is created, you know, and it doesn't take much. And it, I, I, I sometimes look up at this altar and I think, you know, everybody in my time zone from Canada, the United States, Mexico, Central America, there's people in this whole time zone doing what I'm doing. They're getting up and sitting down on their cushions. And I don't know, it's like I'm in this big, huge sendo. And in the COVID world where we don't really get a chance to practice that much together, it, it's nice. It kind of like feels really connected and nice. And so, you know, then I sit for however long and I get up and I go in the kitchen to make a cup of tea and Okay, I got to tell you, my kitchen is not in the sacred space sendo anymore. Uh, you know, it's like five feet away. I don't know how, where that border line is, but it happens. And then when I come back into the office to sit at the computer, well, the sendo's it's gone. It's like, okay, how, what's that all about? I, you know, I it's I I don't know how it works. I guess is what I'm saying. And uh, um. So Robert Aiken has something to say about this, too. He says, when he's talking about in his book, on The Path of Zen, it's a really, actually really nice Taking the Path of Zen. It's a really nice book. And it was nice to sort of read it again because we're not sitting in a group. It's kind of nice to go back to the basics somehow and think about, okay, what is the, you know, what are the basic principles of sitting. But here's what he says about altars. He says, on the other hand, your setting for Zazen should not be so arid that it has no religious associations. Some people find incense and pictures of the Buddha to be a threat to their rational spirit. But we most certainly cannot depend solely on our rationality. So I thought about that and I thought, okay. Altars aren't rational places. So, uh, you know, that's, I gotta say, a little problematic for me in a way. I grew up in this very fundamentalist Catholic sort of religion, and we had all kinds of rules about what altars looked like and devotions. There was a lot of weirdness that went on there. And so, 
and there is this sense about, you know, when you talk about, okay, what goes on an altar? There are things you put on an altar, and you get that sense that I get that it's expansive, and it widens your Zendo sense, and it sort of provides some access to that absolute sort of background we all live in. But you get that wrong. You can put something up there that sort of like responds to that smaller ego sense of you, that you're like sort of talking to yourself or looking at yourself. And that, trust me, that's like a weird, sick, sort of unhealthy. And I think that's kind of why a lot of traditions and in the even in the Zen traditions, people have sort of like rules or regulations about, okay, an altar should look like this, and this is what belongs on. It sort of takes that trial and error and guesswork out of, what am I putting here? I mean, when you think about it, we take these stone carvings, and we take these pieces of wood, and little paperweights and bluebirds, and we put them up on an altar, and it gets transformed. How what what is that and how do you know you're doing it right and that's it's kind of like a big deal i think it's you don't want to like i don't know i don't want to say get it wrong but yeah you don't want to get it wrong you want to put some thought into what these represent what it represents and and how it helps your practice. And it does. It can be very supportive and, and help, especially when you don't have as much opportunity to sit in a group and go through the regular forms and rituals and ceremonies. So, yeah, it's a kind of a mystery. But I want to leave you with one last quote from Robert Aiken, and I have to say, when I was reading this right before I came here, I thought, here's a little kick to this, what he has to say here, but here's what he says about altars. Incense, pictures, and flowers help to put us in touch with the wellsprings of universal spirit, drawing us into the oneness with our heritage and with our sisters and brothers, which we already know intellectually to be the fact of our practice. They help us to establish meaningful archetypes of compassion and realization in our innermost being. Without such aids, Zazen may become just a kind of pop psychology exercise on a level with books devoted to positive thinking. But, wow, that sort of says it all in a nutshell. But So that's my offering on altars and Buddhist statues and it would be really nice to have questions and comments and to people to say how they sit in the spaces they sit in and if they have altars or not or what that looks like. Yeah, so thank you very much for paying attention to I just have a question yeah. about these statues and altars. Now, this looks like this is your personal Zendo. Yes. Yes, I am. It's like like, a, it looks like you've got a couple other altars there running around your house. Yeah, I staged them. 
for ah, the pictures. Okay. This I one. Was like, Wait a minute! You said like from one space to another, there's something that happens to energy, but I'm like, it looks like they're everywhere. This one, <laughs> this one sits at least. This one I took off the altar, and I don't really know what to do with it. Uh-huh. But so I'm trying to find out. I mean, you can loose. This one pretty much sits under with the mats underneath, and I take it out in the morning I because I like it. It's got a softer morning. Yeah, they look pretty but, happy here. Yeah, they do. So, yeah. Yeah. I kind of like them. Thanks. And that's the desk that the little skeleton got bumped off of in the middle of the night. The yeah, it sounds like them. it was responding to. Clearly, it realized I didn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. Yeah. Yeah, these are like staged photos. The altar that Mike and I sit in front of at home actually also has a Buddha statue from the garden center on the <laughs> north side. Perhaps the same one. Perhaps Gasetomy? Perhaps Gasetomy, They're fond of their Buddha statues. Yeah, they, they always have quite a few. And they're some of them are big. Some of them are big. There was, uh, I worked there for a summer, and so I would kind of see them cycle through. There, there's usually one of a frog. Um, sitting zazen, it's supposed to be the Buddha, um, bullfrog Buddha. Uh, so I, we, we got one. I, I'd admired it for a while, but I couldn't, couldn't justify buying it till it went on sale. <laughs> but it is, uh, it is half, half of the Buddha's face on the, and it's like an old statue that was made to look like it. Half of his face got cracked off, but guarantee it was against some rule. But something, I don't know, something about it I like. I find it charming. Um, probably get kicked out of the temple for that. But it's a comment on our, our home altar. And uh, not too long ago, we got another Buddha from a thrift store. Um, who's very similar to yours. Uh, very large, but bright green. Haven't set him up yet. Yeah, like um, conversation. Um, yeah. Um, so the the first Buddha that we mentioned um, was a gift, I think, for Christmas or something appropriate. <laughs> um, uh, which I, I really adore. It so um, it's lovely to have on my altar. When we set up our altar, when we moved in together last spring, um, you know, we thought about you know what we wanted to put on it, as we were talking about, um, and we came up with. A few things that around that meant something to him, so there's going to be four or five pieces. Um, I still have not thought of anything to put on the altar. I get scared when I think about like what should be on that altar. That the question that he posed, and like I still like what what belongs here. I still I still have no idea. Um, and maybe I'll never know. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, I feel uh, thank you for posing that question because I I like. It's, it's nothing like important to me. Like, oh no, like, why am I not putting anything on this altar? It should be our altar. Yeah. So it's very interesting. Yeah, not everything fits. Yeah, it's an interesting. And sometimes I think that the things that do fit, it's almost as if they find themselves, themselves there on their own. 
Mm-hmm. Like if you actually have to think about it and you put it there on purpose, okay, that's pretty much like, okay, it's not going to last. We recently moved into a new space and like um, before I had anything like laid out, I already knew which part of my room would be like my, my Zendo. So there's this nice like windowsill and I used the, this like wide windowsill as the altar. And so like as I was unpacking all my stuff, I have all these like knickknacks and like photographs and sentimental objects and stuff. I just kind of like was like almost like unconsciously sorting everything into like where it's gonna go. And so I was this is like things just ending up there on their own. Like I wasn't really thinking that much, but it was just like I would get to something and it would be obvious that that's like an altarpiece. It would, you know, be like something um, kind of like you had, like representing a person and maybe, maybe like someone deceased or like some reminder of something that I want to practice or um, something I want to like um, wrap into my Zen practice. And, and it would just, just like that, like over the course of an hour, I just kind of like had my little ulcer assembled. Yeah, they just sort of create themselves. They kind of cooperate with you with what, you know, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a dance. They sort of, they sort of know what goes there. They think. Uh, Ed Donnelly has his hand up and then after him, they did raise as well. Oh, wonderful. Hey, thank you, Jerry. Thank you for your talk. You know, it's, it's interesting. You pointed to, you had, you had, a, you had a, we all had to read Tennessee Williams' Glass Menagerie in, in high school, I think. And the idea of, of having a, a, a dedicated place that contained objects that were protected from the chaos of, of all non-sacred space, which is the large, large portion of our lives, is, 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 it seems to be an, an ancient practice. And it's a curious one, and it, it 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 is so nourishing to have a point of reference and peace and comfort in a world that's largely chaotic and disordered. And I've always noticed with these sacred realms that there's there's a symmetry to them. And so, in the case of your altars, you had placed things to the left and to the right of the primary statue. And I don't know if that is a primus is, is a is a hierarchy of sorts that you were assigning these objects consciously or otherwise from reading from left to right, or you might be, you know, very unusual and you you don't you approach the altar. I was wondering if there's one object you look at first all the time, or does it vary? Thank you. You know, I don't I, I don't know if I. I guess there was some thought about where to place these pieces. I think the thing that I see first is the is the Shakyamuni figure in the center because it's sort of big in the focus of the. But I think about this little bluebird and Mrs. Poole a lot. And I have to say, when I when I was redoing this altar, this little bluebird figure. This is not. This is a. It's going to sound kind of silly, but. It's got a cranky looking expression. It's it's not a bluebird of happiness. I don't know how else to say that. But it's got this the beak is kind of 
too long or something. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's so. Yeah, I don't know if I placed them. I think you know where I put the um, insensible and the candle in front of the statue. Kind of, I probably did that on purpose. And the two sort of guardians on the side. I think I did that on purpose. But the other pieces, just sort of, I don't know. They just sort of wanted to be where they are. Oh yeah. And yeah, it is an interesting thing, you know. We've we've been making altars since you know the dawn of time, and I think originally they were like memorials to like remember the dead and to think about the people who we've lost and sort of keep that ancestral, you know, gratitude and tradition for where we came from and where we're going. So, yeah. And this, I don't know. When I look at this little ruby paperweight. That is a memorial of one of my other. I don't know why this happens, but you know, I older than now. I've lost a lot of people: my parents and all my aunts and uncles on both sides, and some really good friends and some cousins. But when I look at this little ruby thing, I think I realize I like only talk to like two or three of them. I have an aunt Sissy I talk to, and Sue Nissen, and like Mrs. Poole. It's like of all the people I've known, you know, who do you like? I don't know who still comes up and is your own, you know, you talk to. It's, that list is not that long, interestingly enough. But I don't know what that, that means anything or has any other importance just to say, you know, what do you think about when you look at this? Yeah. Okay. So thank you for that question. And Ed is also an architect, by the way. So you know mm -hmm. the symmetry, I'm sure, Bodhisattva. <laughs> I just, I would invite everyone, if they're so at all interested, to visit Our Lady of Pompeii on the near west side, which is a little Italian basilica. It is encrusted with icons. And the only, one of the things that distinguishes that basilica, it's not a church, is every single icon is wounded and bleeding. Mm -hmm. oh. It's very, very, it's very unusual to me. Thanks, Ed, for that recommendation. <laughs> you know, I go look at some bleeding icons. I, <laughs> you know, it's really we're all bleeding in some way. So thank you. I remember when I was a little kid. Yeah. I must have been I don't know seven or eight, and it was Easter week. It must have been I don't know Holy Thursday, Good Friday, or Holy Saturday, and I went into our family parish church, and all of the statues were covered over. Yeah. And I was like. Oh my God, it was like creepy. Mm -hmm. Somehow I thought the devil came in and covered up all our icons. It, you know, there's a weirdness I, somehow. I don't know, but it was, I still remember that walking into that church and seeing all the statues covered over and thinking, who would do that? So we, we are both David and Tygen, who would like to speak. Um, I did see David's hand up first. Uh, that's formidable. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Jerry, so much for your talk, which I really enjoyed. And uh, I loved seeing the the things that I loved seeing the things that, that you're sitting with when I sit with you on Zoom. That's just really <laughs> nice to see. But, um, being at Mogetsu, being at your at, being at your place for for sewing has been amazing because I see these things now that, that I've been that I've been seeing on Zoom for for two years. Um, 
So my my altar used to be just uh, like four yoga blocks, and then uh, you know for the incense, uh, uh, and then behind it, um, my my piece is a is a bodhisattva. It's a, it's an image of I usually call it Avalokiteshvara, but really really Guanyin would be more appropriate because it has the Heart Sutra in Chinese behind it, uh, and it's a but I love it be, among other things because it's very gender ambivalent. Um, when I was married, Kristen always called it Kuan Yin, and I always called it Avalokiteshvara. So we sort of, and, that, and I love it that that's the way that Bodhisattva manifests, you know, in whatever needed gender. Um, but you know, your, your talk really inspires me because now I'm in a new place, and I'm I'm doing my sitting in the living room, which I, I because I like the space, but it means that there's there's no altar, I, you know, and and it's just sort of sort of a pop up place to to sit, and um, so I'm, it, it, it inspires me to think about uh, to think about that, and, and what you said about alcoves is really is really interesting. I mean, there's a there's a closet in a back bedroom that I just might use as a zendo. Now, and I'll just throw out throw out one other thing, just because I'm curious if other people have this this similar thing, and that is that um, I really love that bodhisattva image so much, and I love it so much that I'm I, I haven't found a Buddha statue that 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 appeals to me enough to get it. And I also have the thought in the back of my mind, well, if I get a Buddha statue, um, I'm not quite sure yet how I would, how I would deal with it because I like my, uh, my, my Kuan Yin statue and I want it to be central. So anyway, uh, I really appreciate your sort of shaking up my thoughts about all that. Thank you. Well, thank you for your comments. Very nice. Everyone observations. Um, oh yeah. You mentioned that you grew up a conservative Catholic. I was on a walk last time I was in Chicago, <clears throat> quite a long walk, and uh, it was very cold and just going down some, a lot of side streets. And I noticed there's a there's a Catholic church called I don't know if this is right, but Saint Jehoshaphat. Do you know, it's an old Catholic church. Yeah, it sounds familiar. Uh, that there there's a there's a Buddha altar inside because. Jehoshaphat was a was the Buddha, and the Catholic Church appropriated him as a saint without really knowing what they were doing back in the time, might in the twelve hundreds or the nine hundreds. I don't know how many people know that. And so they walked by, and then right on the outside of the church, you know, Saint Jehoshaphat, and he had a kind of a typical, you know, uh, saint-looking. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, so it got me thinking, you know, oh, well, they have an altar to the Buddha inside that church. And they may not know it. But anyway, I just didn't know if you'd known that. No, I didn't. I'll have to go take a look. That sounds kind of, that sounds cool. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, Tygen was our next person. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much for your talk, Jerry. Um, uh, a couple things. That's that skeletal looking statue that you d- described probably was a, uh, a statue of Shakyamuni Buddha. There are images of Shakyamuni Buddha, Shakyamuni Buddha emaciated after he had been doing ascetic practice for a long time when he came down from the mountain and discovered the middle way. So uh, that may not be <laughs> a... Uh, an image that we're that we're so comfortable with, but that's that's probably what that was. Uh, you know, emaciated, emaciated Shakyamuni after doing ascetic practice for so long. 
Yeah, I you know I've seen statues of the emaciated uh, Shakyamuni, but this I don't I think this was just a skeleton because it's a straight up skeleton. <laughs> yeah, straight up skeleton because okay. its hands were up like this. You know, they weren't uh. like they had its hands up and and yeah, it didn't look uh, okay. Maybe it was, but uh, maybe it was just all of our skeletons. But yeah, maybe I, it was just <laughs> I, that's what I thought. It's the skeleton. It's just. But I just I just wanted to add briefly that um, well I loved your, the bluebird on your on your altar, <laughs> and, but uh, you know the, the spirit of the altar is you know just actually to to something that speaks to you of Buddha. So a central image could be a large pine cone or a rock, and it's that's fine. Uh, informal altars in in Asia. You know, usually there's the Buddha in the center, but I think it's fine to have a Bodhisattva, David. Um, but um, uh, Buddha in the center, and then you know, on either side, like it could be Manjushri and Avalokiteshvara, but it can be anything, you know. Uh, so you have a central Buddha or Bodhisattva statue, and then around it, there's there in formal altars, there's a kind of context. But anyway, the spirit of what you were talking about is great. And over the years, uh, people on Zoom can see over my shoulder, I have on top of my one of my bookcases, a, a whole slew of little Buddha figures that I've picked up over the years. And, you know, I think it's okay to um, arrange them in a way that, that, you know, is respectful and that you, um, you know, at, what, uh, the main thing is what you said, that it speaks to you and encourages you in your sitting space. So thank you. Thank you for your comments and help. Tegan, you know, your comments too made me think of something that in many settings, uh, temple settings, there is more than one altar. Yes. There are altars in front of the bathroom. There are altars in the kitchen. There's altars everywhere. And when you go to an altar, you know, even if you're just cruising around the house, do a little bow, that changes the whole feeling of your abode. That's why I thought, I thought, oh, maybe you've got these all over your place and you were kind of, maybe now you will. Yeah, maybe now I will. But there's something very lovely about that. Um, You know, when we had our temple space on Irving Park, we had an altar by the bathroom. So you could just bow when you enter the bathroom and when you exit, it sort of then creates this. But even our altars in our homes and our Buddha, they we're all connected across this Zoomiverse, our whole Sangha. So I feel like they're like little nodes, you know, pinging each other like GPS, Buddha <laughs> GPS. Yeah. So thanks, Hagen, for reminding us of that. Thank you, Hoget. So yeah, in large, very formal temples in Asia and some in America too, you know, there's a central altar with a Buddha and Bodhisattvas or sometimes founding figures or uh, guardian figures, but then there'll be side altars back on either side. And so, yeah, there could be, there's a whole structure of multiple altars, but, you know, for, I, I think the spirit of what you were talking about, Sherry, for a home altar is exactly right. Just to find some image of Buddha that you like, and then uh, surround it with, you know, something, things that speak to you. So, uh, and you can have more than one, I guess, you know, you could have something in your kitchen or whatever anyway. But uh, yeah, thank you, Jerry, for conveying that spirit. Thank you, Tiger. Asian has her hand up. 
Thank you. Um, thank you, Jerry, for a really wonderful and thought-provoking talk. I remember you showed me your the skeleton, the little skeleton figure, and I can confirm. I don't. I don't think it was um, the emaciated, <laughs> but um, it, it reminded me more actually of the kind of skeleton that you would see um depicted for the Mexican holiday of the day of the dead and yeah and so um but now that you're now that, now that I'm thinking that though it also makes me think of all the ofrendas that um people put up to you know around that time to remember their family members or or other important people and um and 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 you know, just so many, so many just different, um, I don't know, correlations of recognizing impermanence across cultures. But uh, I'm sorry to hear that he met his demise because it sounds like he did teach you about impermanence after all. <laughs> but, um, but it actually sounds like you have um, other figures on your altar that already speak yeah. to you about impermanence and 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 maybe in and just in a way that speaks to you and so so i liked that i like that you've been saying that too and that and that everyone else is too that it's it's important to have an altar that speaks to you and there's no one no one right way to do that that it can be very personal yeah david Thank you, Jerry. Um, you're motivating me to move my office. <laughs> so I have it on a, a dresser in my living room, and I can't I can't sit in front of it because my exercise bike is right in front of it. <laughs> so I have to I gotta move my space. And um, what I want to share is I have five pine cones on my uh, altar, and it's some from starts from one that is completely closed. One that's a little more open, one that's farther open. We'll finally get the last one where it's completely open to show that continuation and impermanence in that sense. And uh, many years ago, when I was studying Blackfoot medicine ways, and I was actually a, a pipe carrier, uh, an apprentice shaman in the Blackfoot Native American tradition. I had an altar, and the altar had different things. It had, you know, deer horns and tobacco and uh, my little medicine pouch that I would wear around my neck when I when I left. And so altars are, are one way of, of reminding us of what is important to us yeah. and what connects us to the world. And that bluebird, in a sense, connects you to the world because it was part of your life, and it connects you to that. And I think the whole purpose of of maybe a, any author is a sense of connection, of how do we connect. And uh, I, I love the pictures that you brought. And so I'm gonna make a move in my house and move stuff around, furniture around. I'm gonna make sure that I'm sitting in front of my author, so I'm more connected and sort of laying my office than going to another room to sit. Uh, I have to do that. So thank you for giving me the motivation. 
Thank you for that comment. Yeah. I, you know, I sort of think, I don't know, somehow I like the idea that an altar sort of expands your space or your sense of what a Zendo is. You know, and it's, for me, it's not like a private devotional space. It's a bigger, mm-hmm. you know, like you're, the whole world is your Zendo. And, it, and I, I, frankly, I think it's kind of cool that you light a candle and put a little incense and up pops a Zendo. It's like, okay. That's kind of, I, I don't know, I like that. Kind of nice. Yeah, David. So I've got um, so two two parts of uh, my altar I wanted to share about at home. Um, one was I think one object that, or subject that's popping to mind is um, like a year ago I started collecting um, underground heavy metal tapes. And um, I, I got into this band called Ritual Moon. They're like a thrash band. And I ordered their tape. And then they, when they mailed it to me, they sent uh, the tape and a little note that said, thanks for buying our tape, and a little black candle. Uh, and I was like, and just, it was one of those things that just like chooses you, where I was like, that's absolutely going on my altar. <laughs> and so it's been, I've never lit it. You know, it's this little black candle that sits you know, with uh, the bodhisattvas and, and Buddha in the middle. So that's one of my favorite parts of my altar home. And uh, and then um, thinking about Wade's Buddha with the cracked head. Um, so I, um, the Buddha on my altar home, uh, when I lived in the studio a couple of years ago, I had it um, on a, a windowsill and it was right, at, you know, there wasn't a ton of space and it was right next to my bed. And some something happened where, you know, I, I moved in a weird direction or something. And the Buddha, the Buddha's hand, his, 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 where they have one hand up and part of the finger got clipped off. And at first I was like, oh, no, like. I'm gonna to have to get another Buddha. Like this, this Buddha doesn't work anymore. It's been, it's been, it's been, you know, clipped, and it's it's now an invalid Buddha. You know, what have I done? And my practice is like going down the tubes. Like, you know, and and then like after thinking about it for a little bit, I was like, well, maybe this is actually, this is just the the journey of this Buddha. You know, like the the fact that the the, and I, and I actually there's more. I I had more contemplation about this Buddha that's still holding it down in the center of my altar that has a little bit of his hand that isn't there, that to me feels like has a profundity to it that um, that I think has actually enriched that Buddha, you know, um, in the center of the altar. Um, so it's amazing how, like, there's not really any dead objects. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 I also think, too, you know, it kind of got when I went to reorganize the altar to accommodate this new book. You know, as we grow and change, the stuff or the things that are important to us grow and change. So sometimes things find their way off and new things show up. You know, it's it's kind of like an ongoing process rather than, you know, just a static, here's my altar. Done. You know, it's it's a living sort of thing that you sort of do this dance with to figure out how it works and what to put on it and how you relate to it. and. Yeah, and it, you know this new one. I, I'm just getting used to sitting with to see who it is and how it fits in my life. And you know we're kind of having this little 
introductory little honeymoon going on here. So. <laughs> anyone else want to add something before we go into announcements? How are people in the Zoom world? Wait. The, the absurd thing to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> I speak for them. <laughs> I, I'm just not sure when. Yes, David, David Weiner. I heard on the radio once that there was in Oakland, there was a street that had yeah. a traffic circle, and people were just dumping their garbage in it. And this guy got all upset and said, you know, I, I live here, I don't want this. And so he went to Home Depot, and he bought a $35 garden Buddha, cleared it off, and put it on there. And within a week, people were putting flowers. And then some people oh, put nice. it in a little house. And before you knew it, it became this big elaborate shrine that was in the middle of the street that everybody came from and nobody ever put a garbage there anymore. One little act of kindness, yeah. in a way, can make such a huge change. And you know, who would think that a $35 Home Depot Buddha yeah. <laughs> could, you know, could generate such reverence? Yeah. And such kindness. And such kindness. That's a wonderful story. I like that. It's a beautiful story. Yeah.